Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. What if you could design for the future and transform your organization's shared understanding of what's going to become important to your users? Well, that's what we're delving into today. Our topic this episode has a fairly unsexy name, but it is thoroughly intriguing. I promise. Innovation-based trend forecasting. Now, this isn't currently a common methodology in UX today, but it's something that you definitely should learn more about and try out for yourself because this methodology is going to become a real game changer. I just learned so much about this from two brilliant strategists who are experts in the field of trend forecasting. Lillian Pontius Goldblatt is a senior strategist and brand storyteller at Carbone Smolen Agency. And Jennifer Passis is a brand strategist at Gensler. In this episode, we're talking about applying trend forecasting to your design practice. And this is big D design we're talking about here, meaning not just focused on the design of a digital product, although it absolutely can include that, but design as it applies to the larger human experience, built environments, workplace design, physical or organizational design, systems, services, as well as digital products. And it includes all the roles that contribute to the creation of an experience, not just designers or researchers. This is super relevant to PMs and developers and business leaders of all kinds. Lillian and Jennifer conducted a workshop at this year's South by Southwest about how individuals and teams can incorporate the practice of this innovation-based trend forecasting into their own process. And Lillian is going to be presenting this at this year's Radical Research Summit. Jennifer, alas, won't be a part of that, and you'll find out more about that if you listen through to the end of our conversation. I don't want to give too much away here, although I do want to give you a 20% discount to the Radical Research Summit in Vancouver, BC on September 27th. So this is one of the premier conferences focused specifically on UX research. And after five years, they are in full swing. You can see the full lineup and find out more at 2019.radicalresearchsummit.com and use the promo code UXCAKE to get your discount. That's one word, all caps, UXCAKE. And that promo code is just good for the first 20 users. So don't wait too long. Also, I want to give a quick shout out to our latest reviewers on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, Georgie's Moms and Search Jojo. Thank you so, so very much. All right, let's jump into the show. Hi, Jennifer and Lillian. Thank you so much for joining me on UX Cake today. Hi, thanks for having us. So, 
trend forecasting, and you guys talk about innovation-based trend forecasting, is something that isn't necessarily widely used in UX, but it's something that is very helpful for design, design of anything, how things work. So here is my simplified take on what innovation-based trend forecasting is, and I want to pass this by you and see what you think. So pretty much any experience that you're designing, you want to know what the current trends are. But even more importantly, if you're looking for innovative solutions, you really want to be able to predict what future trends are going to affect your audience and their needs and motivations and obstacles so you can make sure that you're designing for the future. Uh, really good. Yeah, I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head. It really is, trend forecasting is really like the art and science of predicting the future direction of something. So, you know, it can really be done in a number of different ways, but, you know, what we like to do is we like to look at, we like to analyze existing data and try to spot the emergence of a trend based on innovations that are coming into the market, whether that be innovations in uh, new products or new services, and just kind of seeing um, you know, how they're really resolving consumer pain point in, in a new and um, unique way. And how would you, uh, maybe Jennifer, how would you describe trend forecasting for designing how things work in a, in a simple way? There's basically three important things that me and Lily look for, specifically when we're looking at, you know, what a trend is. So the first thing would be, you know, how it addresses a basic human need. So a basic need can be really anything that, you know, these are needs that we've had for centuries. So like a sense of belonging, a sense of security, a connection, a need for excitement. So the first thing we look for is that this anything that's new is really affecting, you know, a basic human need in, in a new way. The second would be that we want it to um, address a driver of change. So what we mean by that is that, you know, it could be either a macro change, so things like aging populations or climate change, um, or it could be something um, like a micro change or a trigger, which is something that's more immediate, such as an environmental incident, so a flood or something that kind of happens without you know, really us having any sense of that it's coming or it's on its way. And then finally, um, really that it's resolving something in the market that there's some consumer tension around. So when we look at, you know, how trends are affecting a certain experience or how they're addressing that, we really want, you know, to touch on those three things for us to really think that it's important. It's going to have a have an impact. And I apologize, and the audience is going to have this issue too. I confused your voices, so. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Lillian, I thought you were answered the first one, and so that's why I specified Jennifer. Could you answer the next one? So yeah, <laughs> I could speak very low. <laughs> okay. I <think> <laughs> That'll help everybody. So Lillian, maybe you could take a swipe at this one. How does what you're talking about, this innovation-based trend forecasting, really for designing how things work, how does that differ from trend forecasting that we often hear about being done by marketing or, or even business analysts? Yeah, sure. We sort of think about, there's sort of a couple of layers of trends and how Jen broke it out into these three, you know, basic human needs, these drivers for change and addressing uh, consumer tension in some sort of new or innovative way. There are the immediate ones. There are the things that are sort of 
that have to do with uh, where people go for information. These are things that are like very immediate that, that, and those are the things that we typically think of most frequently when we think of trends, like what's the color that's on trend right now? What's the, what's a style, what's sort of like those immediate pieces. And those are important. Those are things that we should be aware of. And those are particularly important for sort of fast moving industries. So when we're thinking about designing for experiences or, or product or brand for those faster moving industries, that's usually where we spend most of our time and attention. And that's really valuable. And, you know, we need to know those things so that we don't look dated or we don't look sort of clunky and that we're meeting people where they are. But then there are these sort of deeper trends that are really help us understand sort of the future and to the point of innovation, really help us understand sort of what is the thing that is going to change change next in a way that we need to really be prepared for. So when you look at all of these uh, immediate trends, when you look at all of these things that are sort of happening on the surface level, you can find these things that are, that really help point us in the direction of what's going to change on the macro level. Um, and I think when we think about designing for products, when we think about de designing services, when we think about graphic design or digital design, it's really important to keep both of those things in mind. And I think that the difference between those things and marketing is pretty slim, right? That marketing is often a little bit more focused on those immediate things, but really good marketing touches on those deep things too. All of this sounds really important, like something that any product team would want to have this kind of information they'd want to have. Um, mm -hmm. Is this something that an individual product team or researcher can do on their own, or do they have to go hire a, some big expensive firm to do this? <laughs> this is something that Jennifer and I have talked about this slowly, um, but Jennifer and I have talked about it and that we're going to be addressing sort of really specifically at the radical research summit is that this kind of trend reporting is most impactful when it comes from inside of an organization, when you can do it yourself and really own the process. So you really understand how each of these trends, even if they're things that other people are thinking about, impact your work, impact your users, impact sort of your consumers, whoever they are. So we like to think about this process and we teach this process in a way so that it can be owned by internal organizations. That doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean that it, it doesn't mean that it's like wholly democratic. It means that, um, you need some people who are really interested in doing the work and who are willing to dedicate the time to sort of uncover these things and then match them with the needs of the organization as they are unique to each individual product or service. Okay, so I do want to dive into understanding what that process looks like. Before we do that, I want to still um, explore the why, why, you know, how someone could argue for doing this on their team or, or their project. You have talked about creating transformation through this process. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example of a of a transformative outcome? Sure. So I can um, talk about that. So I work at uh, Gensler, which is uh, 
the largest architectural firm, um, and it's, it's a global firm. So really what I'm interested in when I look at trends specifically is for how people are experiencing spaces um, and in, uh, interacting in space in unique ways in the built environment. And so something that was, you know, that's really interesting that's been happening that kind of popped up was there's this article recently, and this kind of gets into a little bit of our process on like where you look for um, things that are going to have an impact on culture and how people are experiencing things or how you want to design experiences. Um, so there's this article in the New York Times about human contact now being considered a luxury good. And it was an article that came out um, in March of this year. And so what the article was kind of talking about was that life for um, anyone, but, you know, the very rich right now, like physical experiences of learning and living are increasingly being uh, mediated by screens. So not only are screens cheap, but they make themselves into a lot of different areas now. So we're seeing screens now in classrooms and hospitals and airports and restaurants because, you know, the, the nature of how, you know, screens work is that they can really cut costs for, for a lot for people. And so, kind of this, um, the tactile experience of people interacting is becoming this kind of digital smooth glass experience. And um, what the article was talking about is is that the rich really don't live this way, that the rich really are kind of leaning into more of that human contact um, and they kind of see, you know, that this is really a new luxury. So they want their children to play with you know, blocks and they want to live in tech-free environments for their kids and, you know, um, experiences that are kind of getting away from using their phone or quitting social media or not answering email has kind of become a bit of a status symbol. So when we think about this um, in terms of experience, we think about, you know, if, if human contact is becoming this luxury good, how do we design experiences that kind of respond to this new reality where we want to kind of dive right back into kind of a more more human um, and places where people can really interact and meet people instead of having these like digital um, experiences. So there's been a lot of things kind of um, popping up. Um, for example, community spas are really becoming, you know, kind of a hit. And these, this idea of healing cafes where people kind of go and they meditate together and there's not really any screens in sight. So, you know, from my perspective, um, when I'm advising clients and looking at, you know, experiences they want to, they want to, have in the built environment, we are now, again, they're looking at things that really focus on human interaction and kind of moving away from streams. Not that there's not a digital component to it. Of course, um, we live in a digital world and, you know, to completely have a digital free environment is probably not a realistic thing, but we're looking at, you know, different ways where people can really connect with each other um, and even using like a digital experience or a certain service or a product to enhance that kind of human contact. I think there's a, there's this other piece. I think that like the both Jen and I work in client facing roles, right? At agencies where we're doing work for clients, and and the trend work is really valuable in sort of having a really strong point of view for us to walk in and say like to our clients, this is what's happening in the world, and we need to respond to it right. As collectively, I think there's this other piece that's really interesting in terms of transformation. And I've seen this at, I'm, 
at the agency where I work, Carbone Smolin Agency, is that the practice of trend reporting itself can be really transformative to a team. Jen actually brought this practice into the organization, and it has been so useful as a strategy team to come together and we talk about what's happening in the world and we all get on the same page about what sort of is our point of view. And then we roll it out to clients. So we think about, so, you know, if, if we're thinking about this idea of sort of human contact as a luxury good, we think about that. We all think about that. And maybe we each have our own take on it. Maybe we bring it to the design team and they are responding to it in different ways for the different needs of clients, but that it's this shared information that we have is incredibly valuable. And it has become a really important part of sort of the, the team. It's both how we bring this stuff out to our clients, but also how we think. And so that gets, that's kind of segueing a little bit into the process because something key that, that you both talked about was the importance of this being a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about how other teams can get this sort of outcome, what does that process look like? So this is the fun part. And we did a present, we did a workshop at South by Southwest around this uh, to sort of teach this to as many people as possible, because it is, you're exactly right that it is collaborative. It is about us working together and sort of getting on the same page in order to make that transformation real and not just be me with a good idea in a room. So how, how we do it is that you sort of, you designate a team and at Carbone Fallen Agency, it's the strategy team. And every month or so, month or two months, months, we pick a topic, you know, my agency, we work a lot in professional services. So sometimes it'll be law marketing or it'll be, um, high net worth individuals, or it'll be museums. We work in arts and culture a lot. And we'll think about just that one area and we'll look to innovation happening in that space. Who is doing really cool stuff? Who is, what are the new products on the market? What are the new services? Who is doing, you know, cool marketing and communicating? Who has a really interesting mission statement? All of those things. And then we put them through the framework that Jen sort of walked through earlier of are these meeting a human need? Are they responding to change in the environment? And are they addressing sort of a key tension in the consumer journey? And so we each individually go look out in the world. We look at, you know, the newspapers, we go to conferences, we sort of just, just keep our eyes open. We think about things that we come across in our daily life. And this is, this is sort of why it isn't, this isn't something you necessarily need to hire somebody else to do because you're doing it anyway, right? You're reading the newspapers, you're reading the trade publications that are relevant to your business anyway. And it's sort of collecting the most interesting things from those places. And then after about a month or so, sort of depending on time, obviously every month is a little bit different on the agency side, just because of schedules, um, we all get together and we have lunch and we talk about it. We sort of go through every single thing that someone has brought in and we start to find patterns, right? You start to find like a little collection of like, Oh, this is interesting in law. There seems to be this idea around transparency and we need to think about that. And, um, in, in museums, there seems to be this, this idea around uh, platform that the museums as a platform 
and you sort of find these things. And usually every, every report, you find a couple of big ideas and that's great. And we sort of write those up and we capture those. We talk about them and that's sort of how we get everybody on the same page, but the really important next step of it is thinking about takeaways. Like what, why is this important to our clients? You know, I, I work on the brand side, so it's often about, it's often about communications. It's about, uh, messaging. It's about visuals. It's about digital design. It's about all those pieces, but just as like, just as relevant to a product team where you are, you say, Oh, well here, you know, transparency is important. Communities important, whatever these things are that you uncover. And you think about but how does this apply to me and the people that I'm designing for and coming up with sort of a set of your big takeaways based on all of the really interesting and all coolest, most innovative stuff that's happening in the space. What are the themes? And then what are the things that you can do in order to activate and bring to either your clients or to your development teams or whoever can sort of bring those into the real world? The process that I'm hearing sounds a bit unstructured. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody just <laughs> looks at what other people are doing and tries to identify what's interesting is there and so because it's unstructured it potentially could fall apart is what i'm wondering about like is there a structure that you put in place to make sure that it it actually accomplishes what you're setting out to do i think the structure is the people this is one of this is one of those instances where having someone who is cares deeply about this and sees the value of it, really owning it is really important and choosing the right people who are responsible for being part of the process. Though the interesting thing that we have been able to do sort of to at, at CSA is expand and contract the process depending on the content that we're working on. So as long as you have sort of a core team of people who really care about this and see the value, you can invite others in, invite in subject matter experts. You know, we, we work in museums, so maybe there's an opportunity to bring in uh, an exhibition designer. Maybe there's an opportunity to bring in uh, a fundraiser that will help us sort of flesh out the process. Maybe there's an opportunity to bring in, you know, somebody else from our, somebody from a different person from our team to, uh, make it really work. But the truth is that it, it is a free form process and it does rely a lot on people being smart and curious and really interested and invested and understand the value of sort of looking out into the world in order to help make our product and our design and our brands, whatever we're building better. Yeah. I mean, I think the great thing is I've never seen the process um, fall apart, even after doing this for, I mean, about four years now, we haven't, I haven't had an experience where it's really uh, like every time we've met as a group um, of, you know, usually strategists that are doing this work, at least on the agency side, I've, you know, there's always really interesting kind of new and um, nuggets of information that come out of these meetings and really strong takeaways that we can bring towards our clients or or our designers when they're designing whatever it is that the the end goal is. So I haven't seen it fall apart yet. So that's the the great thing. (laughs) I think the big test for us was the South by Southwest workshop where it was a group of people who had never met before. 
broken up into groups around topics that they hadn't seen in advance, that they hadn't had no sort of professional connection to sort of assigned at random. And it was a test for us, right? This is sort of like us testing our own process and it did work. And I think part of the reason why it works is because it is something we all do so innately if we are genuinely interested in making our work and our product better, right? We are all reading about the world. We are all sort of traveling through, <laughs> through life together in a way. And that element of bringing our whole self and really talking about sort of the, the things that we are most interested in is, is, is the magic that sort of keeps it Right. And so I think it might help to explain what this process might actually look like. If you could mm-hmm. tell us what this, what was the structure in that workshop? Because workshops are not, they don't last weeks, typically. <laughs> <laughs> what was, yeah. what did you do in a short period of time? Yeah. So for South by Southwest, because as Lily talked about before, usually what we do is we have a topic. So it might be museums, um, and that's the topic for the month or six weeks or whatever it is, long it is. And we get, you know, the team of people to kind of go out and look, you know, at all their different sources for information on kind of what, what's happening that's new and exciting in that space. With the workshop, obviously, we didn't have that amount of time. So what me and Lily did before we got um, to South By was that we looked at four specific topics that we knew we wanted to talk about um, in this room. So for example, one of them was talking about retail and looking at kind of what's new and happening in the retail space. Um, So what me and Lily did prior to going to South by Southwest is both of us through our own research kind of just started pulling articles on things that we thought were new and innovative and what new brands were kind of popping up in terms of retail or what legacy brands were doing to kind of bring consumers back um, into the retail space, which is, you know, something that I think a lot of retailers are struggling with right now. So pulled a lot of articles and what we did is we had, we put all the articles into a an envelope and then each person got, uh, each, sorry, each group got the um, envelope with all the articles in it. So people could just choose whatever article they want, wanted. We explained the process to them and then, you know, gave them, you know, 10 minutes or so to read through the article. And then we had a couple questions for them to answer um, about their specific article. So one of the questions was, what is innovative about this article? What, what's the new thing that's happening? And then the second question is, was how can you see this being applied to, you know, an experience you're creating or a design that you're, you know, potentially working on? So people brought, you know, their own experience and their own background. And the room was filled with people that worked on the agency side and also the in-house side across all different industries. And so even if they weren't you know, working in the retail sector, they all had, you know, there was ideas they brought. Um, And so then after they did that, um, what we asked everyone to do was to present the article to the rest of the group and then talk about what they found, what was new and exciting about it and, you know, how they thought this could maybe be applied to to their work or their industry. And then from there, it really, they had a conversation about that. And then uh, what we did, the next step after that was for, as a group from everything that, you know, people were talking about were what were some of the key themes that they saw um, happening based on the articles that the, the group read. And they came up with some key themes and then some key takeaways on how they could see, 
you know, this, like the trend that they think is happening, how it could affect different different industries or, um, you know, what, you know, kind of what the, the bigger story was. And so they did that and the end result was really great. You know, people had really insightful things that they kind of brought from it. They all, every group saw, you know, as Lily mentioned before, that there was, you know, clusters of things kind of that were maybe a bit different from each other, but it was all addressing specific consumer pain point. And these are people that had never done any type of trend forecasting in the past. Um, so this is completely new to them and it works. I think that the piece that's really interesting, well, we got the one question that we got at the end that I thought was valid was what if I get the same trend that everybody else gets on every trend report? You know, what if I see the same, you know, sort of the same thing. And I think that that's, you know, it's a valid question because because we all live in the same world, we are likely to see the same trends. Um, so it's not necessarily that the trend itself is the most important thing, but your personal application of it. Um, and that's, that's sort of to go back to why it's so valuable for teams to do on their own, as opposed to just hiring some outside consultant to sort of, or buying some trend report off the internet is that, you know, best how to apply these things to your product, to your design, to your client work, to whatever it is that you're working on. And that, that sort of ownership is what makes it valuable. Not necessarily that you are coming up with something that nobody's ever seen before, though sometimes that happens and that's really exciting too. So I have a couple of questions from that. One is how does a, let's say it's a product team, Mm -hmm. a couple of developers, a designer and a PM, a small product team. How do you make a decision on what you're going to incorporate into whatever it is you're building? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's, I think that that's, that's the big question is sort of like, how do you, how do you take action on these things? And I think that it, it's hard. And I think it depends on what your team is, I, you know, to, to Jen's example about the sort of the, the human touch element, like if human, if human contact is a luxury now, what does that mean for me? And thinking about what your customer journey is, like what the person is at your user persona sort of as they travel through the, the journey with your product or sort of before and after how you can think about that at each of those touch points. I think that the, the user persona is a really valuable place to incorporate a lot of these learnings and as well as the customer journey. So if you have something like human contact is something that people like, how do we add that little piece of information at each step of our customer journey? And what are the, what are the potential changes that we can make to our product that can incorporate that idea. And there's lots of ways to do that. And sort of you, depending on your team, you, you, you decide, you know, we're going to focus on this part because this is where conversion happens. So we want to make sure that we pump up this idea here, or we, this is a real, this is a quick win that we can incorporate some sort of uh, human language into our UX writing that will make our, will connect quickly with our customers. So there's, there's sort of different, there are different ways to do it, but I think that really thinking about it as an important element of who your user is and addressing it along the journey 
journey is a great starting point. Okay. And so then a follow-up to that, how do you share out the insights that your team has developed more broadly? Um, I think it can be done in a variety of different ways. When we, uh, Lily and I worked together at CSA, we'd actually put together a report and it would be both a physical and a digital report. And so what the report would include would be, you know, say the focus was on museums because we talked about that, like a high level on kind of the challenges that museums are facing today. Um, and then it would go into, you know, five to seven innovations or innovative things that we see happening or, you know, current museums kind of putting into practice. Um, so we actually detail, you know, for example, the Met Museum is doing X, Y, and Z at this new experience that they've created um, or whatever it is. So we do that, you know, we actually talk about the seven or so most innovative things that we see happening. And then we then write about the takeaways. So if we see, you know, these are the, the issues that museums are facing. These are, you know, really seven innovative things that we think are addressing those pain points. And then the takeaway is, okay, so um, how do you apply this? You know, how, if I'm a museum director, how do I take this information and apply it to my museum? So usually we, we like to have three or so key takeaways um, that anyone can read and really written in very simple language. You know, these are not technical reports, you know, they, we want them to be very accessible. Um, and so, yeah, so put together usually in like a five to 10 page report that we can either give to our clients or. Yeah. Okay. And so now to kind of more the advice part, are there any particular things, sort of guidelines or to keep in mind or mistakes to try to avoid when a team is, is first starting to incorporate this into their own practice or uh, development cycle? I think from my perspective, it's having uh, sort of delegating a leader is the number one thing that is really important. It's somebody who is going to drive this and be an advocate for it, both sort of in terms of <laughs> rallying the troops to actually get that meeting done and shepherding the meeting itself in order to get something useful, but also in terms of uh, disseminating it, right? Writing this report that Jen talked about, doing a presentation to the rest of the team, sort of like being that champion for it. And ha like having a champion is is really what's going to make or break the success on this project. Jen, anything, what are the other pieces? I think, you know, having as diverse a team as possible. So, you know, the people that have different interests or expertise inside or outside uh, work is really important because, you know, what might capture my attention reading through the New York times or looking at, you know, the different sources that I go to or the different experiences I choose to go to on the weekend or after work is going to be different hopefully than another team member. So I think it's really making sure that you have people that have varied interests, varied backgrounds um, that are, you know, looking at the world, hopefully like through a different lens. Um, so you're not kind of all coming back with, Oh yeah, we all had this exact same, you know, we all went to the same movie. We all read the same articles um, because if that's the case, then you're all going to come back with the same information. You really want to have people that are um, looking at signals that are happening in, in culture from like a wide variety of, of viewpoints. And that really makes the work rich. 
Okay. This has been a really great overview. I feel like there's probably more that we could we could learn, but a great overview, lots of helpful tips. Are there any resources for folks who want to learn more about incorporating this into their own practice that you could recommend? (laughs) Jen and I were just talking about this. So we both talk about this a lot. We both sort of do presentations at places like South by Southwest and Radical Research Summit. We both you know, CSA is publishing trend reports pretty regularly and we're both talking about it all the time. So I think that if you are really interested in learning more specifically about what we're doing, it's find us on LinkedIn, connect with us, talk to us. We are always talking about it and we love to talk about it. On the other side of sort of just general places to look for really interesting stuff, there are, there's a number of resources that like just newsletters that I love, Jen, I'm sure you have your own too. I was sort of like, I think that that is the first way to get this started is to just start building up your places that you look for the most interesting and exciting things and save them. Yeah. I think like off the top of my head and there's, um, JWT intelligence. Yeah. That's like one that me and Lily go to a lot. They regularly publish, you know, you know, kind of triggers and um, things that are happening across different industries, and um, they have a really accessible way of writing. So I think that's a, a really great source to kind of look to right away. I love looking at things like Eater and, um, you know, kind of more street culture things, because um, I think that's really, they usually have a, a very immediate response to kind of what people are looking for in terms of experience. So, what new restaurants are popping up in your city and kind of what type of experiences people are, are flocking to, um, for me is a really interesting kind of place to look for kind of, you know, what kind of shifts that we're seeing and how their different restaurant experiences or whatever it might be are um, addressing kind of these cultural needs people have. Yeah. And so I think something that's very important about this seems to be that what you want the folks on your team to be looking at, the resources that they're using, aren't necessarily related to the product you're building. So it's not like a, a competitive re- review. It's it's about what people who might be the audience you're designing for, what other things are happening, what other trends are happening with those people. Yeah, absolutely. I think that like one thing that me and Lily talk about um, a lot when we're, you know, talking about our process is if you look at things like, for example, Uber, which really, you know, the whole ride sharing program that, you know, Uber brought to the market um, is really interesting for a variety of different ways. But it really, you know, Uber really had an amazing impact on a lot of services that were beyond ride sharing. So if you think about how people are accessing a lot of different varied services now through their phone, um, which really was you know, the, you know, Uber kind of kicked that off, I think. And then, you know, there's lots of things like, you know, seamless and all these different, you know, handy where you get to, you know, through your phone, you decide who's going to come into your home and clean it. Um, 
there's all these different kind of um, in the sharing economy now, there's all these different things that we are able to access services through our phone. So it's, you know, really looking at, you know, who's kind of the first person in the market that's, you know, making something more convenient or whatever it might be for your audience and then how you um, can design your products or services and take that into account. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. This has been super interesting overview, really great overview. Lillian, you'll be presenting these ideas at the upcoming Radical Research Summit in Vancouver, BC, late September, right? Jennifer, I I understand you were slated to co-present, but you're stuck in the U.S. I am. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and and I'll be pre- I'll be presenting with a colleague of Jennifer's named Kate Watson, gotcha. um, who she's delegated as a co-expert. <laughs> yeah. Is that like the Canadians' worst nightmare that you are stuck in the U.S. <laughs> you yeah. can't leave. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it's kind of my worst nightmare too. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's a bummer, but I am so glad that we had a chance to hear from you both here on the podcast where you can connect this idea with a global audience, which is wonderful. And you mentioned people can follow you online. Um, I would say LinkedIn is probably the best. I have sort of, I think both Jennifer and I have very cat heavy Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how how many people are interested. Yeah. It's not where you, where you talk about where you're presenting innovation based trend forecasting. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Jennifer and Lillian, I want to thank you so much for joining me here on UX Cake today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, that was a lot of great info to take in, just like I promised. It took me a couple of listens to really get it all. However, you can get a transcript on our show notes page at uxcake.co if you want to refer back to anything. Also, you can download a handy two-pager from Jennifer and Lillian that includes lots of resources, I mean a lot of resources, for the kinds of articles and reports that they were just talking about. So go get that. It's on the show notes page for episode 35 at uxcake.co. If you enjoy this free podcast and you want to help our community grow, here are three action items I have for you. Number one. You can share this episode with a friend or colleague. There is a share function in every podcast platform, including our website. You can also share a link to it on your work Slack or your social media channel of choice. That really helps to get this content to more ears of the people who will find it useful. Number two, rate and review the UX Cake podcast on iTunes slash Apple podcast. This is the place that potential sponsors or partners look to to see our social proof. If you don't have an iPhone, you can rate and review in iTunes on your computer. Just search for UX Cake in the iTunes store. Click on the podcast and go to the ratings and reviews button. Number three, subscribe to our email list at uxcake.co, where you will get resources and soon will also be including bonus episodes available only to our email subscribers. There you have it. Those are the top three ways that you can help our community grow. And if you've stuck around this long, you definitely deserve a cool UX Cake sticker. So 
Follow us on any social media platform and write a post that mentions UXCake and the hashtag stickers. And we'll send you a couple of very cool UX Cake stickers. You can follow UX Cake on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. If you email or direct message us, I will always reply to you. And we comment back on all posts that mention us, although it's not always instant, I have to add. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a bite. UX life is hard. Eat more cake. <laughs>